Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. I have been really stressed the past few weeks. One of those times that lots of little triggers have compounded. I do still like my new job, but there have been days that all I've wanted to do is sit and work on this podcast. So I'm glad that you're still here. Today's play is Terence's Eunuchus. If you haven't read it yet, I do want to prefer, preface this episode with a content warning. I know that we frequently see sexual assault in these ancient sources, but it's not usually quite as blatant as what we see in this play. Nothing happens on stage, but there is a rape that occurs off stage during the course of the play. And I know you're thinking, this is going to be a comedy? Well, technically, yes, because it ends with marriage and not death. But that's the difference between comedy and tragedy. There is no liminal play form in ancient Rome. There's no in-between. It's either a comedy or a tragedy. Anyway, this may not be an episode you want to listen to with your small children, or it may be one that you want to be prepared to talk about with your older children. And depending on what's happened in your life, it may be one that you want to skip and come back to when you're ready for it. I am using the Douglas Parker translation. Uh, My copy was published in 1992, but the copyright information indicates that this translation is from 1970-ish. Not quite my lifetime, but far more modern than what's in the public domain. You can, of course, find translations in the public domain. And if that's what you've read, please do pop over to the blog to share how your translation handles the ugly subject matter that drives a significant portion of the plot. As you've seen in other Parker translations that I've used, he doesn't shy away from using modern language, which is one of the reasons that I like him as a translator. This play is no different. Parker calls a rape exactly what it is. Eunokos is based on a play by Menander, and as usual, it is set in Greece and is filled with some familiar stock characters. Um, It's actually based on two plays by Menander. He draws a couple of characters from a different play, which is a whole thing in ancient Rome of this, how dare you contaminate this wonderful Greek play by combining it with another Greek play. And that's where we see Terence going, dude, it's my play. I can do what I want with it. And didn't I make it better by doing this? Anyway, to the characters. We have the family of Demia. He has two sons, Phaedria and Chiria. And their family slave is Parmino. Cremes is a young man in search of his long-lost sister, Pamphila. Korea is in love with Pamphila, who is currently living with the friendly prostitute next door, Theus. Theus's maids are Pythias and Dorius. We have a braggart soldier named Thrasso. He has a slaves named Simalio, Donax, and Siriscus. They have names but no lines, but yeah, anyway. Um, Natho is Thrasso's parasite, and Sanga is his cook, not that he does much in the show. Antifo is Caria's BFF. Sophrona is Pamphila's elderly nurse. And the cast is rounded out with Doris, the eunuch of the title. That's Doris with a U, not Doris with an I. This play uses two of the upstage houses. One is Demia's house and the other is Theus's house. And 
then obviously the usual exits to the harbor and um well in this case kind of to the to the farm into the countryside to the harbor to the countryside um one one to the city one away from the city i think that's all the background you need so we will take a short break before diving into the plot This play opens with a typical Terence prologue that's as much about his critics as it is about the play. It does little to further the plot. Okay, it does nothing to further the plot. The prologue exits and the play properly begins. Phaedria and Permino enter from Demia's house. Phaedria's whinging about how he's in love with Thais and how she's locked him out of her house. Permino suggests that Phaedria just pay her what she wants. And conveniently, Thais enters just then. She doesn't see Phaedria and Parmino and talks to herself about how she's afraid Phaedria got the wrong impression when she banned him from her house yesterday. Parmino pushes Phaedria to talk to her. Thais swears the two men to secrecy. You see, Thais grew up in Rhodes, and while she and her mother lived there, a client gave her mother this little girl who had been kidnapped from Athens. As far as she knows, the girl, who is now a sweet 16, is a citizen. Thais and the kidnapped girl were raised like sisters, but then Thais's primary client decided to move to Athens, so she moved with him. The man died and left her as his sole heir. Then her mother died too, and her uncle decided to sell the kidnapped girl to the highest bidder, who just so happens to be another of Thais's clients, a certain soldier. He bought her as a gift for Thais, and now is back in Athens to make delivery of this gift. And that's why Phaedria has to stay away for a few days. It's not because she doesn't love him. She just needs to make sure the girl is delivered safely so that she can be reunited with her family. Phaedria complains, but Thais convinces him to give her two days. He stomps off into Demia's house. Thais rolls her eyes and exits into her own house. Phaedria and Parmino enter from Demia's house. Phaedria instructs Parmino to, to deliver his own gift to Thais's house before he goes off to the country to suffer through the next two days without his love. Phaedria exits to the countryside. Natho enters with Pamphila and her maid. Natho tells the audience all about being a parasite, a monologue that is occasionally interrupted by a commentary from Parmino. Eventually, Natho sees Parmino and greets him. They have a bit of verbal sparring before Natho exits into Thais's house with Pamphila and the maid. Natho returns shortly thereafter, tosses off another barb at Parmino, then exits. Korea enters at a run. He saw this girl, and she is so beautiful and so perfect, and he loves her, and now he can't find her even though he's sure that she came this way. He sees Parmino and then bemoans his love-struck state to the slave before begging for help in getting this girl for himself. As the conversation goes on, Parmino figures out that Pamphila is the girl Korea saw and has fallen in love with. Parmino, however, being our clever slave, has an idea of how Korea can get close to Pamphila. To make sure that Thais doesn't forget who loves her more, Phaedria has also bought her a present, or two actually, a new maid and a eunuch. This is the present that Phaedria had ordered Parmino to deliver safely before he went off to the country. No one except Phaedria and Parmino have ever met this eunuch. So Korea could trade clothes and pretend to be the eunuch and get entry to Thais's house and Pamphila's present that presents that way. But Parmino commands Korea to behave because this impersonation is technically a crime and we all know who will take the rap if it all goes sideways. 
Korea promises to behave. They exit into Demia's house. Thrasso and Natho enter. Thrasso boasts about his prowess, and Natho encourages him. They debate about who Theus really loves, Thrasso or Phaedria. Natho assures Thrasso that Theus loves his presence, ergo she loves him. Theus enters. She fawns over Thrasso. Parmino sees this and takes it as his cue to deliver the gifts from Phaedria, an Ethiopian maid, and Korea, disguised as the eunuch Doris. After conducting her new slaves inside, Theus returns with Pythias, Dorius, and some other women. She tells Pythias and Dorius to keep an eye on Pamphla and then exits with Thrasso and the other women to go have lunch. Cremes enters and tells the audience how he's come to fetch his sister from Theus, assuming that Pamphla really is his long-lost sister. Pythias and Doris, Dorius enter and explain that Theus is out, so he should come back tomorrow. He's insistent, so Dorius leads him off in the direction of Thrasso's house while Pythias exits back into Theus' house. Antipho enters. He's looking for Korea, who was in charge of the party they were supposed to be, have today, and yet he's nowhere to be found. So naturally, Korea enters at exactly that moment. And here is where the play goes sideways. So remember my content warning from the beginning of this episode? This is the part where you, I don't know, may want to skip ahead 15 or 30 seconds. Antifo is confused by Korea's disguise, but Korea is happy to explain. And boy, does Korea talk. Because he was supposed to be a eunuch, all the maids left him alone with Pamphila, who was taking a nap. And he just couldn't help himself, so he rapes her. It's not the word Korea uses, but it is what happens, and it is how every other woman in this play describes it. So, kudos to Parker for calling a spade a spade in his translation. Antifo and Korea exit. Dorius enters. She's come to fetch Pamphila, or at least to pretend to fetch Pamphila. Phaedria enters. He was at the farm, but he just can't stand waiting there any longer. Pythias runs on in an absolute and understandable fury. She's looking for Doris, the eunuch, to punish him for what he did to Pamphila. And I'm not going to lie, despite the subject matter, this scene is funny. It is, well, it's classic. Phaedria is shocked to learn what happened and sends for Doris, who of course is not the man Pythias is looking for, and it's your classic people mix-up. And it's funny. Sadly. Because it's not happy material, but it is. It is. It's funny. After much conversation and confusion, Doris explains how Parmino told him to swap clothes with Korea, and Phaedria realizes just what his brother has done. And it's not simply pretending to be a eunuch. So how does he protect his brother without punishing the slave? He kicks Doris into Nemea's house and follows shortly thereafter, speaking loudly about how he'll take care of this. Dorius suggests to Pythias that they keep the whole thing a secret and say that Doris just ran away. They see Creamy's coming and know that Theus will be home soon. Dorius exits into Theus's house. Creamy's enters, having partied hard at Thrasso's house. He drunkenly tries to tell Pythias what happened over lunch. Theus enters in a huff. She's sure that Thrasso is going to arrive shortly to to reclaim Pamphila. She's relieved to see Creamy so that she can just hand Pamphila over to him. Everyone exits into Theus's house. Thrasso and Natho f- enter, followed by Donax, Similio, and Siriscus, all of whom are prepared for a fight. Thrasso does indeed plan to reclaim Pamphila as his own. We then get a confrontation between Team Thrasso on the ground outside and Team Theus at her second-story window. 
Kremes announces that he will fit fetch Sophrona, who was Pamphlet's nurse, to prove that Pamphlet is his sister and therefore belongs to him. Because, you know, women are property and all that. Theus slams her window closed and Thrasso and his men exit. Theus and Pythias enter. Pythias blurts out the whole story about what happened to Pamphila and calls for Korea to be arrested. Korea enters. He sees Theus and knows that he's screwed up, if that's what you can call his actions earlier in the play. Pythias is ready to gouge his eyes out. Can't say that I blame her. Korea offers to marry Pamphila. He still thinks he's in love with her and he will die if he can't have her. I mean, as long as she's a citizen, his father will be cool with it, right? They just have to wait for Creamies. Korea and Theus exit into her house to wait. Creamies and Sophrona enter and Pythias directs them into the house. She sees Parmino coming and then exits into the house too. Parmino enters. He's come to see how Korea is getting on, having no clue about what his plot has wrought. Pythias enters and decides to make Parmino pay. She tells him what the eunuch did and exactly how he has been punished, weaving a tale of torture and castration. Parmino sees Demia coming and wonders how he's going to explain what happened to, uh, to Korea, how he's going to tell Korea's father that his son has apparently been castrated. Demia enters. Parmia, Parmino starts with the truth. Phaedria bought a eunuch to give to Theus. Then he massages the truth a little. Somehow, Korea got delivered instead, and now he's been trussed up and charged with rape. Demia takes this news surprisingly well. He was concerned that maybe his sons had lost his house while he was away. I mean, this, this he can take care of. He exits into Theus's house. Pythias enters. She's laughing at what just happened. I mean, sure, she's the only one who really thinks it's funny because no one else heard the tale she told Parmino, but it was hilarious the way Demia burst in, expecting to find his son in quite a state. Parmino is furious to learn that Pythias lied to him. She laughs some more, blows him a kiss, and exits back into the house. Natho and Thrasso enter. Thrasso has decided to give in to Theus. Korea enters. He gleefully tells Parmino that Pamphila is a citizen after all, so now they can get married. Parmino is relieved at this turn of events. Parmino exits into Demia's house to share the news with Phaedria. Phaedria enters. He and Korea talk. And yes, Natho and Thrasso have been on stage this entire time, unseen by the rest, but discussing what this turn of events means for them. Eventually, they excuse me, they do step forward, and Natho proposes a solution to the love triangle between Theus, Phaedria, and Thrasso. Why does it need to be a competition? Why can't they both have her? Phaedria thinks this is a reasonable plan. He conducts everyone into Theus's house, stopping just long enough to tell the audience to applaud, and the play ends. This was Terence's most popular play in his lifetime, and it's remained one of his best-known works. Um, and I said in my introduction that Doris is the eunuch of the title, but as we've seen with other Terence plays, that might not be accurate. Does the title refer to Doris, or does it refer to Korea? Also, am I the only one who thinks of Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1 whenever eunuchs are mentioned? Um, 
uh, maybe if I can find a clip, I'll put it put it on the blog because that that's what I think of when I think of Unix. I think of Mel Brooks. Thank you, Mel Brooks. I which now I want to sing the Spanish Inquisition song from it. I. Sorry, I'm going way off topic, aren't I? Anyway, there are a couple of things that stood out to me in this play about this play and not Mel Brooks. <laughs> it probably comes as no surprise if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, but I want to talk about the women in this play. The first thing that jumped out to me when I was writing this summary is how Creamies describes his relationship with his sister. If Pamphla is really his sister, then she belongs to him. She's his property. And I made a comment about women as property, but not all women really were, which is why characters such as Theus are actually rather subversive. Sure, she is beholden to men. She needs them to earn her living, after all. But she doesn't belong to any one man. And when the play ends, she still doesn't belong to just one man. Now, sure, it would have been nice for Phaedria and Tethrasso to discuss this arrangement with her, but the reason that such an arrangement can exist is because she is an independent woman. She is earning her own living. She does not belong to any one man. The other thing that stands out is how Theus responds to the rape versus how Pythias does. Um, and this goes back to pretty early on in this podcast when we covered the Oristia. It's a question of vengeance versus justice. Pythias is set on vengeance. But Theus's response is much more measured. She seeks justice for what happened. Um, and it, it's interesting that we see this played out in two women in the show because they are the ones who understand the violation that occurred. The men largely brush it off. I mean, to them, it can all be fixed with a wedding, right? But the women know the gravity of what was done to Pamphila. And so we see this question of how should we respond to it? Do we respond with vengeance or do we respond with justice played out in the response that Theus has and the response that Pythias has. This play is complicated. I'm not going to lie. It is complicated. Um, and maybe that's a reason that it's remained popular because it, it has layers. It's not, it has a tighter plot than a lot of Terrence's other plays. So it's not the plot that's complicated. It's the subject matter. But it's also, it's funny. It really, it, it's a play you don't want to laugh at, and yet it is it is funny. It has some very, very funny scenes, but it has very dark subject matter underlying those funny scenes. So it it's complicated. So what do you think? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. Find me on Patreon as Triumvir Clio. That URL is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover book three of Virgil's Georgics. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. 
And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.